0: I was wondering. I'm like, it didn't seem like I was on. I thought I was maybe the sound guy paying attention to the Jets game or something back there. But it was just probably me not having it on. Just giving you a hard time, Joe. And uh, we look at the book of Ephesians here. It's such a wonderful book. We spent several weeks from verse number 3 through verse number 14. And we see it was a long anthem of praise (coughs) to God. And Paul talks about the goodness of God and the majesty of God. And in that song of praise, Paul describes in great detail the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. He also tells us all that God has done to bring us to where we are in Christ and to have guaranteed our eternal salvation. And after telling these Christians much of what God has done for them, we see in this passage of Scripture today, Paul begins to bear his heart and begins to, to the people of God. And he basically says, "There you see in verse number 15, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. We see, basically what Paul is saying here is in light of all the blessings that flow from God to us, I want you to know that I'm praying for you, that you'll understand what I've basically told you in verse 3 through verse 14. That's Paul's prayer for the, the Christians here at Ephesus. Paul knows that he's given them a lot to think about. A lot has been said. He's talking about subjects that are deep subject and most people hard to grasp at times. And he knows sometimes they're confusing some of the things, but he wants them and prays for them to understand what God was trying to teach them through these words. If you look down with me at verse number 18 for a second, I'm going to give you my title for today, and then we'll go back up to verse 15 and run through all of this. We see... In verse fifteen, or verse 18 it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened well, these four words, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I want to preach and for a little bit this morning on those four words that you might know. There are two thoughts in view of these verses. First, there's a word of praise for the saints, and then there's a word of prayer. For the saints, and we'll get to all of that here this morning. And I want you to consider these thoughts so that you may know what God's trying to teach you here this morning. Number one, we see a word of praise for the saints. Paul's been writing about the way of salvation. He's already told us that we're saved by grace, and salvation is God's doing from start to finish. It's all about Him. He did it all for us and when we talk about these things Paul offers some praise regarding their relationship with Jesus which leads us to letter A we see there's a praise for their profession Paul tells them that he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and that faith is referring to the simple act of believing the gospel Paul's commending the believers here in Ephesus for their salvation and placing their faith faith in Jesus Christ Aren't you thankful for salvation today? Aren't you thankful that your name, if you're saved here today, that your name is written in the book of life? That no one can take your name out? The Bible talks about rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice about it. It's something to be thankful for. We see Paul, he praises them for their profession of faith. And let me just... Make sure we understand something today, and I know I probably beat it like a dead horse, I understand it, or a broken record, but believing the gospel is the only means of salvation for any soul. When we talk about Romans chapter ten, verse number nine, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Look what the Bible says thou shalt be saved. Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It doesn't say next, go to church, join a church, get baptized in that church, give your tithes in that church, do this or that. No, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved And thy house. Salvation is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross. You see, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it's the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Say, pastor, you talk about it often. The reason I stress salvation often comes only, and you understand, salvation only comes by believing the gospel. The problem is, most, a lot of churches—not most, but some, a lot of churches today—don't preach the gospel anymore. What is the gospel? I am glad you asked me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 and 4, by deliver unto you first of all which I also received. Now look, here's the gospel Are you. Ready? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the 3rd day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. There's nothing else besides that. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again. Putting your faith in Him and what He did, you can be saved. The Gospel is as simple as understanding that Jesus Christ did these things and believing on Him. What type of relationship and what kind of relationship do you have with the Gospel? Far too many people are trusting in works. Some emotional experience that they had in being baptized or joining a church. None of those things can save a soul. It's the gospel It's what Jesus Christ did that saves a soul. There's praise for their profession. Let her be. There's praise for their practice. Verse fifteen it says, "After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and look at the next phrase, and love unto all the saints." Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And love unto all saints. You see that there? After commending them for their faith in Jesus, Paul goes on to praise them for the fact that their salvation is real. How does Paul know? Because it's a, they're bearing fruit. Paul says their love unto all saints. One of the defining characteristics of a Christian. Our calling card should be our love for one another the Bible tells us John chapter 13 verse 34-35 a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you and ye also love one another by this shall all men know that you're my disciples that ye love one another if you have loved one for another that's how people will know you're a follower of Christ no, it's not, oh, I combed my hair just right, got that part, got that tapered haircut, I got that suit on, I got that Bible underneath my arm, I do all these things. No, they are going to know you're a follower of Christ by your love for one another. How are you doing with that today? God is love. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Paul tells us that the love for the brethren is our calling card. If you don't have true, genuine love, then we're just a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though you have the gift of prophecy, and though you understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith to move mountains, and have not charity, it profits you nothing. Though you give all your goods to the poor, and offer your body to be burned, and have not charity, it means nothing. We see that he was praising them for their love. True salvation flows from the heart of the believer out to others. True salvation produces true love in our lives. For love that does more than just talk. At Acts First John 3.18, the Bible tells us, my little children, less not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I remember as a kid, rarely did I ever get in trouble growing up. Okay, that's not true. I did get in trouble often growing up. Well, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I won't go any further than that. But I remember one time, and after things were done, you know, I feared my dad, and, you know, he could spank pretty good. He say, Pastor, you got spanked. Yep, and I deserved it every time. There were a few times I got it I didn't deserve it, I'll admit it But it did make up for the times I did deserve it That I didn't get it So I, I, I needed it I probably needed it more than what I got But you know, it's just, it is what it is Caroline's got to put up with me now But um, this one time I don't remember what I did But my mom, I told her afterwards I apologized and I said, Mom, I love you And my mom the, What she said next to me It stuck with me still to this day Love is an action word if you love me, you wouldn't have done what you did. Show your love. Don't just say it because talk is cheap. Whew, it's like man, my mom could have been a preacher there for a few minutes. Man, it says she's the son, you know, the mother of a preacher. But man, that's truth. Love is an action. Do you love one another? You know, something that's sad about this church, and I'm not going to go into this long. For this church, they were known for their, he thanked them for their profession of faith and their love for one another. But then the book of Revelation, God is getting for them because they left their first love. They're still busy serving, but they left their first love. And love needs to be the calling card of God's people. Through the Spirit's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, all these things. Faith, meekness, temperance—against such there is no law. It should be bearing fruit. We see a word of praise for the saints, and then letter our number two. We say, Pastor, we're already on number two. We're almost done. No, it's a long one. It's a very long one. So just to hold on for a while, okay? Don't get excited. Like, well, how are we going to cover verse 16 to 23 if it's not going to take a little while to do it? So it's going to be a little bit. Don't get a little too excited. I know some of you are thinking, oh, we're already on number two. Just take your shoes off and relax. It's going to be a while. I'm just warning you. There's a reason why the service started this morning at 11.08. And I hate the second service starting late, but some of you don't show up till 11.20 anyway, so it makes it so you don't miss all the singing. But the reason why it started late is because the pastor went too long first service. When first service gets out at 10.50, you've got to have a little break in between. And we've got to talk to that pastor in that first service about getting done so we can get in here for our second service and get what we need to done. Second service counts just like first service. That's why we'll go just as long as we need to to get the whole message to you as well. So we see, number one, a word of praise for the saints. Number two, we see a word of prayer for the saints. I love it. You look at there at verse number 16. It says, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He prayed for the people there in Ephesus. It's a wonderful thing when people pray for one another. It is. Don't ever lose sight of that. I, um, a lot of times, and I know when we have struggles and trials going on in our lives, I will text someone and I reach out, and, I'll, and I reach out to people often. And one of the things that I always say, and sometimes to people it sounds kind of redundant, I'm praying for you. But there's nothing greater we could do for one another than pray. There's nothing greater. Don't ever take it lightly that someone is praying for you. I appreciate people will text me at times, and they'll just say, "Pastor, I'm praying for you." And man, that just there's just something about it. That's something special. I remember um, Susan sitting back over here in the back, and I want you to know we've been at church a couple times, and I get a text from a number I've never even seen before, and Pastor, I was gonna, I want to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray for? I'm like, man. I'm like, first off, who is this? I'm like, should I know who this is? And i wait a minute. But that made my day. Someone was praying for me. You should, it should make, prayer's a special thing. As we go through here today, and you're going to see in chapter number three, you see Paul has another prayer. He continues to pray for the church at Ephesus here. But every day, I do my very best to pray for each and every one of you by name. One of the prayers I pray for you, is what Paul said in these verses right here. We'll see why in a few minutes here. And other days, you know, some of you I pray multiple times a day. You know, when you're a Jets fan, I pray that you can just still have the love of God in your heart and still be a Jets fan in the midst of that. I don't know if it's possible. Or the only thing worse would be a Raiders fan or be these Patriots to pick up a great player yesterday. You know, anyways we wanna talk about the Patriots or football. Who cares about football? We see a word of prayer for the Saints. We see that Paul goes through some things, and he wants the believers to understand some things. He wants them to see some things that the church at Col- the in Colossians, the church at Colossae, they didn't quite get. Christian, realize something this morning: you are complete in Him. You need nothing else. You don't. You say, Pastor, it just feels like I need something new, something fresh in my life. As a saved person, you have all you need. You're complete today. You need nothing else. And Paul wanted the believers to know, and he was praying that they would just understand some of the things that he had talked about in this passage. He wanted them to know that they're complete in Jesus. He wanted them to avoid the trap of falling into like the believers at the Colossian church did. When you read the book of Colossians, and we're not doing a study there, I know. Maybe someday we will, but we're not doing it now. They, they basically, in some of the past, they believed they were missing something. They needed something else. And th- they didn't need anything else. They had Jesus. But they weren't sure that he was enough. They seemed to be searching for something, some deeper knowledge that they were looking for to make them more spiritual. They resorted to human... I want you to go with me to Colossians for a minute. I know we're in Ephesians, but go there for a minute, chapter 2. Hold your place here, because we'll be back in a minute. It's only a few pages away. You can do it. There are a lot of verses. That's why I didn't put them up on the screen. I we just turn there. And look at them. Look at what the Bible says in Colossians 2, verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. The Bible says, next verse 4, "...in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and powers." Go down to Verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. You know, legalism isn't going to get you, your work's not going to get you any closer to what you need. You have everything you need in him today. That's what the, Paul is trying to get across to the church here. And we just see these different verses, all these things that they were trying to do and do. In verse 21, touch not, taste not, handle not which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And we see a lot of different things, but what he wanted them to understand was they were complete in Christ. Christian this morning, and I see it. It's, it's amazing. You see a believer get saved. You see them take off. Man, they love God. A lot of times you see them there gung-ho in everything. They show up for everything. They're involved in everything. And then at some point, I remember Ryan when he first started coming. And, uh, you know, he literally, what was it, like a month in, you were in the hospital, something like that. And he was so mad that he was in a hospital bed instead of in church Sunday morning. I'm like, just calm down, okay? It's one service, you're in the hospital. You can't do nothing about that. So he gets out of the hospital like at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Where's he at. He has his IV pole and he's sitting. No, he didn't have his IV pole. But he was sitting here in church Sunday night. And man, boom, boom, boom. Now he just misses whenever. and it's nobody. No, I'm just kidding. But you get on fire and you get going and then it's like oh, you burn out a little bit. And you're like, oh, I'm, I need something new. I need something fresh. What am I missing? What could this book give me that I need here? What can I get here to help me? You have all you need. You are complete in Him. There is nothing else you need. Nothing. You have everything. Christ is all that we need. We need nothing else. We are complete in Him and we go searching for this and searching for that, but we don't need anything else because we have everything already in Christ. And we may not like to admit it, But as we look at these things, there's the truth here is, a lot of times we look for more. We pray to God, God, give me grace for this situation. God, give me grace. He's already given you grace. God, I need strength. He's already given you strength. God, I need peace in my life. He's already given you peace. He's given you everything you need. We don't use the resources He's given to us. There's a man, William Randolph Hearst. Anybody ever visit Hearst Castle? I've been up there, up just north. My family, we go to Pismo Beach every year, Summer. That was our vacation spot. Just past Morro Mar- Mar- Bay and that there. Hearst Castle's along there. Crazy going up there and touring that place. But William Randolph Hearst, he was a multimillionaire and he loved and he was a collector of expensive and rare works of art. And one day he found this, uh, he was reading about this particular painting and he became determined that he wanted to acquire it for his, um, for his collection regardless of the expense. So he hired people to go searching all over the world to find this painting. He searched, and his search cost thousands of dollars, and it almost lasted a full year searching for this painting. The agents came back to him and said, Sir, we found the painting. It's been found. He's like, all right, how much is it? You already own it. It's been in storage at one of your many warehouses for years. He was searching for a possession He was searching for something he already possessed. Now, think with me for a second. Doesn't that sound like us? We're always looking for the next great thing, the next great feeling, the next great experience. We're wanting spiritual fulfillment and contentment and wearing ourselves out looking for it. What we fail to see is that everything we want and need is already in Jesus Christ this is what Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus he wants them to understand what they've been given and to grasp it let's look and take some time to dissect the prayer here and see some things and notice the request that Paul makes in these verses we see first of all he prays look at verse number 17 so we see back in our text here in Ephesians chapter 1 So we see verse number 17 says, make mention of you in my prayers, and then that's a colon there, which means he's going to talk about what that prayer is, verse 17 and 18, and so on and further. Verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus and the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints we see letter A as we look here at the prayer the word of prayer for the saints letter A we see that we might understand the mysteries of God what the people of God need cannot be found in a special class you try to attend or self help books or anything what the people of God need can only come to us from the hand of God that's why Paul prayed that God would give them. Look what it says here. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. These are saved believers already. So they are already open to spiritual things. Their eyes have been opened. They're not blinded. They're not the natural man that cannot receive the things of God. They're saved people. Bible talks about this written to the saints. They're saved. But as we look right here and as we dive into it, Paul's praying that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He was praying that they would have a complete understanding of their position and possessions in Jesus Christ. That's what the revelation part unveil. That's what that's about. He's asking God to open their spiritual eyes and let them grasp the reality of all that Jesus has done for them in salvation. When he mentions wisdom here, do you see the word wisdom there? Do you see it there? He's talking about using that revealed knowledge to live for the Lord. The word spirit used here has the idea of an attitude or a teachable or a humble, teachable spirit. So, in other words, this is what Paul's praying. Paul's praying that they will be open to hear the things God is trying to teach them. And he prays that they will have a teachable, learning spirit and be willing to learn what God is trying to teach them. Think about that. We need that in our lives. Now, I know, this is a little deeper this morning. Maybe you need to pray that God will help you understand what's being said right now. But when we look at this here, we need to pray this prayer for ourselves on a daily basis. We need to ask God to help us have a humble spirit and an open mind so he can teach us his truth. Far too often, and I'm not going to park here long, but the bus is stopping for a second, and I pull on the emergency brake, and we're going to park here for a second, Far too often, we base what we believe on by what we've been taught or on tradition and not on what the Word of God says itself. That's hard for us at times. I grew up in a great church. This sermon's being recorded, so I'd be very careful how I word certain things that I word. I went to a great college. I'm thankful for the college I went to. Grateful for the things that the Lord put in my life and the training that God placed me where he put me I would not go back and if I could would I go someplace else I'm glad God put me where he did but I'll tell you this there are times when I've gotten ready to preach a message and all the things I've been taught or some of the traditions that we carry on I open up the book and they're not found there We don't need, and let's be uh, let's be careful and uh, understand what I'm trying to say. Traditions can be good. Um, what we've been taught a lot of times is very good stuff. But if the, if we're not following this book, we're missing it. And all you know, I've I've had people <laughs> the past couple years in our church. They look at me and say, "Pastor, you've changed. You're a compromiser on certain things." First off, number one. I'm no compromiser. And I'll sit down with any of you. Anytime you want. And I will and we can compare scripture with scripture and see where we stand on things. Anytime you want. I'm not a compromiser. I have changed. There are some things I have changed on. And you say, Well, why have you changed? Was it it wasn't easy to change. I'm very stubborn. God made me a very stubborn, stubborn person. I don't know why He made me so stubborn. Probably to put up with some of you stubborn people in the room. I think that's what it is. So we work good together. Stubborn pastor, stubborn people. We're all stubborn. It works out all right. I get ready to preach something, and I see in the Bible, oh, but God, that's how I've been taught. God says, "What does my word say?" But that's our tradition. That's what we do! What does my book say? And I wish I could say from the very beginning that I had that teachable spirit, like, okay, God, you say this, and I'm open to what you have to say. Didn't start out that way. But in my growth, I've learned, okay, I'm a Baptist, and I'll be a Baptist as long as I live, probably but traditions that we carry if we hold to our traditions and things like that you might as well just call us a Catholic church we're Baptists by distinction because we follow this book it's supposed to be and some of us are so stuck in our traditions and our ideologies that you won't let God teach you anything and that's what Paul's talking about I pray that you get to the point in your life where you let God teach you from the Word of God and see maybe some point in your life you were wrong on some of the things that you really stood strong for that God wasn't so strong on. It's a good thing. And you don't like that? Tough. Go find another church then. And I say that in all love. And I mean it. But sometimes we have just this prideful spirit about the things that we do. you got to get over yourself. you got to get over where you stand. I don't know how deep I want to cover the subject. I said before, I said in this pulpit a couple years ago, I said we will never sing a worship song in this church. I said it from this pulpit. One of the newer worship songs, I said we wouldn't. What was that? That was one of those old traditions of the... Church I grew up in, and thanks. You sang two of them this morning. And I didn't like them. Good, I'm glad you didn't. I didn't wor- come to worship here to wor- make you happy. I want to make God happy this morning. So if you didn't like it, that's, that's fine. I don't come to worship you. I'm to worship God. My view changed. Because I got one person I'm trying to please. I got one person I'm trying to make happy. And there will be times where you read the Word of God and you're like, I got a degree and they didn't talk about this. I says, why don't you just trust me and do what my book says? You say you're a biblicist, then be a biblicist. You might say, Pastor, I don't understand what you're talking about, then good, just keep going on with your life and have a humble spirit and let God teach you and you grow in the things of God and you become what God wants you to be. We must be careful not to resist the things of God because of other people because of anything else. you got to be sensitive to God and to his leading. That's one of, part of what Paul's saying here, that they might understand the mysteries of God. Verse 18 says, Paul prays that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened. The word understanding here refers to the mind as a place where we think, understand, and feel. Um, it has the same ideas that when we refer in the Bible to the heart. That's why Paul prays often. And you see here, and we, when we talk about our heart. When he's talking about these things, he's praying that God will turn the light on in their minds so they'll comprehend the deeper truths of God. That's why Paul prays that they might be enlightened. Paul doesn't want the people of God to operate solely on feelings and emotion. He wants them to live out their lives based on the truths of God's word. Paul says in uh, Colossians 3 verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That's what we need. We need the Word of God in us richly. Teaching us where we stand. That's what Paul's talking about here. See, when our hearts and minds are controlled by the Word of God under the direction of the Spirit of God, he enables us to understand the deeper things of God and how they relate to everyday life. When that happens, the Bible and the truths it contains become practical in our daily lives. That was a lot to chew on there, but if you need to listen to that again, you can go listen to it on the website. Think about it this way. A way to view that truth. Two of Jesus' disciples were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus was speaking to them. And the Bible says there that they... Their hearts burned in them as they talked with him. But they did not see him till their eyes were opened. The same is true with us. There are some truths that we'll hear, but we'll never believe them or understand them till the Spirit of God helps us have the ability to grasp onto it. What um what's that? John chapter sixteen, verse number thirteen is all about. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into it. And it says and and it says, For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He'll guide you into all truth. Paul wants them to understand the spiritual mysteries of God's plan. He mentions two parts. He mentions the hope of his calling. And that refers to the earthly and eternal destiny of the believer. God's plan for us while we're here is to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's plan for us is that we'll come to, as it says in Ephesians 4.13, the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man and to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. You see, if we could grasp the truth, it would change our lives every blessing and every disruption, if we could view them that God is at work in your lives to make us more like Jesus, it would help us as we go through the things we struggle with. He wants them also to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance here. He wants them to know that there are even better things waiting for us down the road through Christ. We see letter A. We see here that Paul, that we might understand the mystery. That's his prayers about one, that. We might understand the mysteries of God. Letter B, that we might understand the might of God. Look at verse nineteen and twenty. It says, "And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He hath wrought in Christ Jesus." which he hath wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Paul prays that they might comprehend the greatness of God's power working in their lives. There are four words used right here. So if you look at verse number 19, it says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his, the first word power right there. That word power is the word, it comes from the word "dynamis," which is where we get the English word dynamite. It refers to an inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its very nature. Paul tells us that this power is exceeding great. And this means that it's more power than we'll ever need. And the lost person cannot ever know this power, but it's been given to us that are saved. The second word that we see here, if you look there, you see the word power there. Keep on reading there. And and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe According to the look at that next word working. Working is the word energia or, and I it's where we get the word energy from. It speaks of the energizing power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live day by day for Jesus Christ. Now you keep on reading there. You see to the working or the, ener, the energy he gives us of His mighty, the word mighty there. It speaks of ability, force and strength. God enables us to do things it would be impossible to do without him. And then you see the last word there, to the working of his mighty power. The word power there is different than the word dudemus, which was the first word power. This word power here speaks of dominion or great power or strength. It basically means that the Spirit of God gives us the ability to have dominion over our lives. We have the power to live for God. Now, I could preach a whole message on those four words right there. And I gave those to you quickly today. I understand that. Why is it important to, to look and understand the power of God? It's important to understand it because we're always asking God for strength and for power. when he's already given it to us. It's there already. We already possess, when we think about this, we pray, we pray for strength all the time. We pray for power, power to witness. Guess what? There's already power to witness. Romans 1.16. The Bible tells us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. We pray for strength to endure sufferings when God has already promised us all the power we need. And we pray for power to do the will of God, but he's already given us the power to do that. Philippians 2.13. Do you have that verse? You don't have Philippians 2.13? You have it on your paper there? No, you don't have it on your paper there. So I'll turn there and read it for you. Philippians 2.13. The Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And all I'm trying to tell you is this. You already have the power you need. It was given to you when you got saved. The power to serve God and see him do great things in our life is already there. There it just needs to be exercised. That's why the Bible talks about in Ephesians 3, verse number 20. The Bible tells us, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. It just needs to be exercised. And what's that power that worketh in us? Think about this, and this is pretty neat to think about. Go back to verse 20 of chapter 1. Ah, <sighs> Have I lost anybody yet today? You all have been very good listeners today. You're doing pretty good. Say, Pastor, you've given us a load of stuff today. I did. You're getting more than you normally pay for. So give God a little extra in the offering plate today. No, I'm just teasing. Chapter 1, verse number 20. This power. It's the same power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. We're given an illustration of the awesome power that worketh in us. The same power that invaded the tomb of Jesus, raised him from the dead, and carried him home to heaven is the power that is working in our lives. That's right. Death conquering, life changing, resurrection power is at work in our lives all the time. Our need is not for more power. Our need is for wisdom concerning how to use his power for his glory. Our prayer should be that God will help us to tap in to the resources He's given us moment by moment. What we need to do is try to grasp the awesome power that is ours through the Lord and what He wants to do. And then if you notice on your notes there, it looks like everything's done. And you know why it looks like everything's done there? Because I forgot to give one last point on the outline. So you're going to write this one in. You have pins. You've been filling in. You can add one more point. And I know you're thinking, ah, Pastor's done. One last thing, we're just about there. We only got to verse, what about verse 21 through 23? We can't leave those verses and not talk about them, right? Letter see that we might understand the majesty of Christ. Paul had three requests that he was praying for. First one was that they might understand the mysteries of God. Secondly, that they might understand the might of God. And thirdly, that they might understand the majesty of Christ. If they can grasp his plan and his power and understand who he is, they'll be able to weather anything that life throws at them. Once when Timothy was overwhelmed and discouraged by those who were against him, Paul gave him a recipe on how to get through it. I want you to see this real quick. Take your Bibles, the 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Last service, I didn't have them look at these verses, so you get something special here that they didn't get something special just for the second service here. So Second Timothy, chapter number 2. Look at verse number 8. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to the, my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even in bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. When we understand that Jesus who he is, he became a man, was crucified, rose again. Now he's seated at the right hand of God in glory, and he's interceding for us. It helps us get through whatever's going on. You see this morning the Lord is that we serve is not some poor, pitiful pitiful fellow who was crucified, lost his life. No, our lord came out of the tomb there's power now He's seated it at the right hand of god in heaven and he is far above all powers on this earthly world or even in the spiritual realm and paul is telling us by using the words that he does is jesus is farly superior and vastly superior to all earthly rulers he also reminds us that jesus is superior to satan to principalities to anything and then someday every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then in verse twenty-one and twenty-two, he tells us that Jesus is the head and the fullness of the church. He's our authority. He's the one who gives our marching orders. We are to bow to his will in all things as we serve him in this world. He's the head of the church. He does not give the authority to man to a board or to an influential family. He is the head of the church. He alone is the head of the church. No pastor is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. And he alone is to be praised and worshipped and exalted. And he is to be honored. And he is to be the centerpiece of everything that we do. And not only is he our head, but he's our fullness. He's our fullness. Of everything that you need in Christ. There might be someone here this morning that's not saved. What can I say to you this morning? Believe the gospel. Trust Christ get saved this morning. You might be here this morning and you don't have a good grasp on the things that we're talking about today. You need to come to God and ask Him to open up your spiritual eyes. And ask Him to give you understanding concerning the deeper things of God and have a teachable spirit and let Him teach you some things. And then others just need to live and praise and worship him. A lot packed into this first chapter, and we're just beginning. we got five more chapters to go. Paul gives a long anthem of praise to God from verse 3 to 14. And that his prayer is that they might know and grasp what they truly have. Christian day, the problem we have is most Christians are like William Hurst. Man, he heard about this painting he wanted, and he wanted anything he could to get it. And after spending tons of money and all this wasted time, he had it in his possession the whole time. And as Christians, sometimes we go around, I'm missing something, I need something, I need this, I need that. We need nothing. Complete in me. Complete. You need nothing else. You just need some wisdom and some understanding on what he's given to you that's what we need. We don't need nothing new. We need to learn what we already have. It's powerful. It could change a Christian's life if you would let it. Father, thank